humankind raising good humans. I have uh, the lovely pleasure of introducing Ari Peters, who is a teaching and learning coach at Elwood Second uh, Primary School. And um, I've invited her along because she has been instrumental in helping my daughter with dyslexia and basically going through the process of discovering it and understanding and um, basically getting her on the right path. So, hi, Ari. Hello. How are you? Hello from Annabelle as well. So, sorry, this is my day off at home today. Annabelle. <laughs> she likes to know what's going on all the time. Yeah, I can yeah. Under, understand that. Um, and also, um, Ari is a advocate for dyslexia, which we all need to be, but um, she has taken a, as a leadership role at Elwood Primary, which we've been very fortunate enough. I'm going to hand it over to you, Ari, and just to give a little bit of background, maybe about your pa uh, passions and how literacy... Um, the love of literacy and what that means to you. So thank you. Um, so I've been at Elwood Primary School for seven years now and previously, previously to that I was working in the western suburbs where I undertook um, a few years of training in teaching uh, in literacy coaching and so that meant that I worked in the classroom and also coached other teachers two days a week and three days in the classroom. And that's what led me yeah. to my teaching and learning coach yeah. role at Elwood Primary School. Distraction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. Um, so, and when I got to Elwood Primary School, my focus was on coaching not only literacy but numeracy and our inquiry model as well. And over the years, um, Rob, our principal, noticed that gee, there are some kids that we're, trying, we're, we're doing all the right things for, we're putting them into intervention, we're giving them individual learning plans, but there's still something not quite right. And as, as things progress, we discovered that those children were the children with dyslexia. And he said, well, we've got to have someone keeping track of them all the time. We need yeah. someone to be monitoring them over the years and keeping consistency between teachers to make sure that they're supported the best they can. So... That's where my role as advocate for dyslexia comes from. And it's a really unique role, particularly in public schools. Um, I communicate with a lot of public schools in the area and in other regions, and no one that I've spoken to has got anything like the setup that we've got. Wow. Um, it's amazing. I've, I've, I do liaise, I have liaise with some private schools to try to sort of see what they do. And it's been pleasing to see that there's sort of not really any private schools that we can touch base with that sort of have the same sort of role that I have as well. Um, so that's really special. Um, and I think it's made a big difference. I've had this role for the last two years. So it's fairly new, really started, really got going beginning of last year, where I went, if this was my role, I really need to upskill myself in this, in this um, learning difference. So last year, and I spent a lot of time um, at professional development. So I would have done about six days, full days of professional development around dyslexia with different um, people. The main one was an intensive program with Leonie Hare, who is a educational psychologist and also her own child has dyslexia. So that's where she sort of, from her own personal experiences, um, has sort of narrowed herself into that field as being her expertise and it was really great to have her personal take on things as well because it 
taught me how much how important it is for the parents to really understand everything they need to know everything along the way and so that's where I began to yeah that's where I began to make sure I had um, parent support groups parent information nights and made sure that the parents knew me really well so um, the children in our school with dyslexia I would hope that the parents know who I am and would feel happy to jump on the phone to talk to me or shoot me an email um, at any stage and so I'm very open with them about the fact that I'm still learning all the time I'm not actually an expert um, but I but I'm probably the most knowledgeable at Elwood Primary School yeah, well, um, even when we had the parent support group a couple of weeks ago, the psychologist said, I wish we had this replicated all over for the district that she looks yes. after. So, and we will go through a little bit of what you, how you set it up um, at the support group. Um, I suppose maybe if you could give us a five-step process. You, you've got a child and you're even starting kinder prep, and more, probably more prep when they start doing their sight words and you're like, this child is not keeping up with the other kids. Yeah. Do I panic or what, 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 do you, what would you recommend as the steps? So firstly is around awareness and education. That's your first step. So if you feel like there's something wrong, the first thing you need to do is see your classroom teacher the very first thing, and see how they feel about, are they really behind? Because as parents, we compare against other families and other people that we know, and their children might not be at level. They might be um, ahead of themselves, and we're comparing our child to that. So that's important to know too. Speak to the classroom teacher. Um, in prep, the main thing is if, if by the middle of the year they're still really struggling with their sounds and being able to rhyme and still talking in that baby talk, that's when you sort of would be speaking to the teacher and going, is there something more here? Um, and then the teacher is alerted to follow, follow the process through more. Now, as I said, in prep, what is normal is a very wide range. We have yes. children that are really young. We have children that just are not ready yet. They always call term three of prep the, um, the light bulb term where everything seems to come together. Yes. Um, you might think your child knows nothing until halfway through the year and then in term three you go, wow, they can actually read something or they can write their name. Yeah. Yes. So um, we've got to keep that in mind too. But it's important if you're not sure, it's important that you know your school's process. So finding out from your teacher and saying, I'm, I'm unsure of this, but then if they give the answer that there's nothing wrong, you might say to them, well, what would be the process if there was? What yes. would you do about it? Because that puts them onto the front foot to know you're going to come back to them. Yes. Yes. Okay? yes. So you want to know what would happen next. If I come back to you again at the end of term three and this is still the case, right. what will we do then? Yes. Um, one thing you can do if you want to be a – this is a really tricky thing with dyslexia. It is, um, although you cannot identify features of dyslexia early on, they tend not to diagnose till seven or eight because often there's that developmental delay and things can come together. Yes. And also a child that has dyslexia can actually appear to be coping until about grade two because one of the features of dyslexia is a high IQ. They're quite bright. They can work out how to get through. Yeah. So often it's when you get to grade two that, that starts to pull away and become, oh, I can't hide anymore. I've been sort of getting through, um, but I can't 
hide anymore, the gap's widening. And this is, of course, when it, um, if you've got a child that's just got sort of moderate dyslexia. Obviously, severe dyslexia you'll notice from PrEP. You'll start yes. to notice that a mild to moderate can sort of hide itself for quite a number of years because the children are so smart and clever and, and can work around it. Um, yeah. And then they, once they get to grade two and three, they need help to learn how to work around it then. Yes, yeah. yeah. Can I just quickly backtrack a little if we've got anyone listening that don't, actually doesn't know what dyslexia is? Can yeah. we just... Yeah, of course. So it's, oh. a, it's a very broad term. It's a term used to define a difference or difficulty in learning with reading and writing specifically. Um, and as I said, it is very a very broad spectrum. It can be quite mild, also ranging to quite severe. And when I say severe, it can mean that a child... Um, can literally struggle to read anything on a page because it's quite blurry and jumpy to just having difficulty with particular sounds or if the font's not right, if the sizing's too small. So it is quite a large range. And we've got all of those ranges at Elwood Primary School um, from severe to mild. So one thing they all have in common is the fact that they are bright and therefore very aware of their difference and that's where the impact of self-esteem starts to come in, particularly when you get to around about grade three. And so, which is different to other, some other learning differences where the children um, may not be as aware of their difference. Yeah. They tend to be more so aware and therefore they feel that they're dumb. Yes, yes. Until yeah. they understand that they're not. So, sorry, I felt like I jumped off a bit before about your five-step process. Yeah. Would you like me to return to that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, that would be great. So we talked about being aware, finding out what the school's process is, but also something that you can do very early on yourself is make sure you have a vision and hearing test because that's one of the first questions that the um, welfare team of any school will ask you before they do any further testing. So if you've had hearing and vision checked already when you go to your welfare team, that's speeds up the process. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's checked and it's fine. Yes. Um, every school's different in their process, but at Elwood Primary School, once the teacher has, um, the inf has, has chatted to you, they will refer you to our welfare team, which consists of our principal, our two assistant principals, and myself and Sarah Walsh, who's, who is our advocate for um, <coughs> children with ASD. So she follows them and makes sure that they're being well supported as well. So we all join the welfare team. And then we are met once a week with a psychologist from the department um, yes. that comes and sits in on our meetings as well, which is great. So we get all their expertise. And they bring that information and then we start going, okay, what other information do we need to know about this child? It might be some family history. Um, we'll gather together any educational reports from the teacher like um, reading tests, writing tests, spelling tests. When it's prep, it's obviously more around their phonics and letter ID. Um, and then go from there. And then if they were to have any further testing on from that, we would need parent permission. And the first thing they would do is a full language assessment. And that sort of just rules out any other learning de um, deficits that the child might have in the area of language. And if that's all clear, then the speech pathologist would say, okay, there's not a connection here between the child's ability cognitively and how they're performing in the classroom, so we need further testing. Yes. So that's yes. sort of how it runs along, okay? Yes. So sometimes children might have a full language assessment and it might stop there. Yeah. They just, there's just a few um, a whole, a gaps in their learning. We can fill those 
Yes. Or she might, or he might say, there is actually a real disconnect here. We need to know more. Yeah. I think, um, which is great. I think what um, parents probably get confused with mm. is when to call it and when to be the advocate. Because I know there's a lot of parents that will actually stand back and not ask because they don't want to be a pain. They don't want to bother you. And what would you say to that? Um, I'd say to them, you're only hurting your child. Yeah. <laughs> you really are because, look, I'm a realist and the people, that, the parents that I speak to, and Mel's one of them, know that, you know, we're human teachers. We have 25 children that we're looking after that we love to death and we're catering for all the time and that's only 10% of our role almost. There are so many jobs that we're doing in a day that if something slips our mind, it is not intentional. And so you need to be the advocate and go, you know, this is still happening. And and it, some teachers may get annoyed by it. Not at Elwood Primary School because I've told them to expect it. I've told them to expect it. Of course not. <laughs> no, I've told them. No, I'm to, I've told them to expect it. So it is different if you're in another school and and they're not as um, well supported. It can be quite daunting for a teacher to have the pe a parent coming in um, all the time, speaking yes. to them if they're not confident. But at El that is probably where the biggest difference at Elwood Primary School is at the moment. The teachers always have backup with myself. If they're not sure, they say, "I'm not sure. Let's get Ari." Let's do it all together. So I think that's the main, and I think that's the main thing about the main lesson for all of us around dyslexia is we all have to work together. Yeah, that's what you want them to be doing on their own. Yeah. And so if you're a parent and you're worried and you feel like you're being that pest, go a bit higher. Go to the assistant principal. Go to the principal, um, and say, look. I, I understand that the teachers are doing the best they can because I believe me, in every school they are, but I feel like need, there's something more here. Yes. And no principal is going to knock you back for that. No. And if you, you talk about obviously the support networks that are in place within our primary, and I'm, I'm assuming that in most schools that's not the case. So if there are parents that are struggling and they're not getting the answers that they think you make up, there is something, if you're not going within the school to find the answers, where do you go? Okay, that's a really good question. Yes, there yeah, are because stuff. Yeah. 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 So as I so just to reiterate, the um the role that I have at Elwood Primary School is not a typical role. So when I'm saying to you speak to a principal, it's not a role that all schools can actually facilitate. Yes. It's costing the school money to have me do this job, which some and that's a, it's a it's a it's a role that our principal and leadership team have thought is worth the money yes, but some schools yes. don't have that money so I'm not saying that they're going to be able to automatically throw someone in to keep an eye on your child so just want to say that um also if you can't find those support services at school there is a website called um spelled and that's um a, a website that's got all resources linked to learning differences most specifically dyslexia, and has all any networks in, in your area. Um, Ari was just talking about Spell, which is a resource, like a website. <coughs> there is a whole lot of other resources we can use um, and implement, but what we'll get is Ari to, she'll give me all the links and we'll follow that in our neat social media so mm. that you can go on and look and research yourself because mm. we've got time to cover everything today. Mm. So... Um, sometimes having an assessment done for any sort of a learning difference can take a lot of time. 
particularly if you're going through your school system. Um, we have, as I said, we have one psychologist who works once a week. Um, and that's pretty good for a primary, public primary yeah. school. Um, but that means it can take, it could take six months for your child, to, even from the moment of, the, of, the, of your school, identifying that they need that assessment done to it actually happening, depending on what's happening in that school at that time. So, and they're expensive to do privately. So it's up to you, to you to make the decision going, do we have the money to have an assessment privately or are we happy to wait? But if you're happy to wait, you would want to do like what Mel's done and we've already implemented assuming that Pearl had dyslexia six months ago. We put, all, put some of the processes in place already because they weren't going to hurt if the, if the results came back that she didn't. So that's one thing I want to say too. If you don't wait for the diagnosis, if that's something that's really putting you off and you're going, oh, I'm having to wait, speak to your school and say, okay, we need um, to have a learning plan with the assumption that she does at the moment or he does. Yes. And as I said, it's not going to hurt them to have yeah. those extra skills. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we go into, I guess, teach, the teacher side of things that you wanted to as well, is it, do you have any idea on the percentage of children that do actually suffer from dyslexia? Is there any figures? Yes, um, it's a, a average to be 10%. Okay. Yeah. 10%. And that would be indicative of, or would, um, should I say 10% diagnosed? Diagnosed. Yes. That would be indicative at Elwood Primary School. We have 10% diagnosed. We have just over 10% diagnosed. But there is also research that there is one in five children that are undiagnosed. Yes. So that's because probably more so the mild. Children yeah. with mild dyslexia probably well, not too mild. Well, it's funny because I, I was, as you know, Ari, is that I was going through um, not necessarily wanting, a, well, I hadn't actually thought about the dyslexic um, label, but not labelling Pearl. I just wanted her to experience school and see where mm. it was taking her. And then when, obviously, as the years went on, but I think it's really important and what I've learned is it's actually great to get the diagnosis mm. because... The support from um, extensions on NAP plans to exams in high school to yeah. like audio books that you can download for free. So it's not necessarily that you have to bring it in to the child and go, you are dyslexic, but it's, it's definitely a support yeah, system. Look, I run a little support group for our children at school with parent permission. So not every single child is um, in the group, but with parents need to know need to give consent for me to take the children to talk to them about their dyslexia, particularly because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. Mm. But I have them as a group to talk about what works for them in the classroom, what struggles they have, um, and to teach them little tricks about how to get around um, difficulties, they difficulties they have with learning. And the kids love coming to that group. Um, they all get together and gas bag like crazy and it's almost a competition to see who has the toughest toughest day ahead of them it's a bit of a yeah brag session about no I got one right word right in my spelling list <laughs> and it's good because there's no no one's feeling bad about that because yeah. we all know that we're all the same um they realize that it's I think the dyslexia label for them is actually helpful I had one child say to me two years ago which is before I started this journey say to me um, I'm so glad that I know I have dyslexia because before I thought I was just dumb and now I know that it just takes me a lot longer and I'm working a lot harder than everyone else in my class. Yes. So yeah. 
for that child, they know that, gee, I've been going through primary school thinking that I'm just stupid. And now I realize that it's because my brain works differently. I'm working a lot harder and it's just going to take me longer. Yes. Yeah. Um, so for that self-esteem, once again, was the, the label is helpful with support. Yes. Without yeah, support, absolutely. it's quite daunting. So if you were going to go into a school, yes. what do you think, what would be your five steps again that you would do? Again? Like if you were going to go in, how you went in with Alwood, what would you recommend to teachers or schools if they're wanting to implement this? Thing? The first thing I would do would be um, professional development for the teachers. So our teachers have had three professional development, developments run by my, the assistant principal, Nicole, and myself in the last two years around dyslexia. Um, they are really clear about the process of um, speaking to parents and referring to the welfare team when it comes to someone suggesting that they might have dyslexia, or even if the parent doesn't suggest that. They know the warning signs if a parent comes to them and says, they'll go, oh, okay, I need to send that information to Ari to look into. So that's really important. Also, education for the parents. And we have run a dyslexia night at our school last year for parents, um, which we didn't get a huge response to. We had probably about 30 parents there because I, I suppose it's probably quite a niche um, topic. If you don't think your child has dyslexia, you may not be interested to come necessarily. Well, the funniest thing is, Ari, is... Yes, your husband came. I came to that dyslexia. Yeah, oh, you did, yeah. Morning tea. Well, dyslexic morning tea for the parents. And I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, I still hadn't clicked that you thought that Pearl might have dyslexia. <laughs> I'm now going, oh, yeah, listening to everyone. No, this has got a few problems. And then I walked out with Ari and I said, do you think Pearl's got dyslexia? This is like grade four. And I'm like, oh. And, yeah, so yeah. parents, please do not feel dumb when no. it might happen. And you're like, how did I not click with this? And it might not be denial. It might be just purely just not yeah. We had another parent that um, came to that information session um, forced to by their partner to find oh. information and, walk, and afterwards said to me, that is definitely my child. And before so, not so much. So it's all about education. And, and it's not, a, as I said, teachers, parents, students and the wider community um, because I think there are lots of things the teacher can do in the classroom so once I did once I would educate once we have the education process in place it's making sure that um, there's an ILP and the students have actually got the opportunity to explore how they learn best so it might be extra time to do to do things it might be having to write a bit less than others it certainly means not reading aloud in class um, it means you've got some assist assistive technologies like audiobooks, using text-to-speech. Um, I just taught the kids last week a little trick around getting the iPad to read website pages off to you when they're doing their research because those pages are so heavy to read. Um, but now they've learned to just listen to it rather than having to read it when they're doing their research. Little things like that can happen. But the main thing that that'll all be crushed if someone comes into the school, into the classroom, and happens to say one little thing to a child or to someone else in the class about someone not being as good as someone else. So that's why it's really important that the whole community, not just children, community, not just the parents with dyslexia, children with dyslexia, sorry, but even if your child doesn't have dyslexia, you need to know 
about how to behave in the school setting, knowing you may be coming across someone with dyslexia and that might be why they're doing things slower. That might be why they're responding to a question a bit slower because they take time to stop and think. Um, that might be why they're using some of the assistive technologies um, because if you were, a parent was to say that there was to be a parent helper and just off the cuff, not meaning to hurt anyone, say, oh, you know, they're having a bit of trouble for a child with dyslexia, that can be really damaging and that can, you know, they don't want help from anyone anymore. So I think it's just making sure the whole community know that this is, this is something that is really common. Yes. There is a large, there is a, you know, a quite a significant proportion of our community that have dyslexia, including parents and probably teachers. Sometimes, some days I think I might be dyslexic. <laughs> um, and that we all just need to be aware of it. So that's the next step for Elwood Primary School in terms of going wider community. This year we're hoping that our, some of our students with dyslexia that are confident enough are going to teach the school and the community about what dyslexia is in October, in October which is Dyslexia Awareness Week. Yes. And Dyslexia Awareness Week is not huge in Australia. To be honest, it's really big in the UK. It definitely has getting traction in Australia, but it's sort of we're still at the early stages. The UK are far further down the track in terms of awareness than we are and I'm getting all my resources from them for that at the moment. Yes, yeah. Um, and just talk a little bit about the support group that you've got, like with the kids, just yeah. about presenting to the class, what you did last year with some of the students. Presenting? Okay, so there's a couple of things. So last year um, it was brand new and a lot of the kids hadn't actually shared with anybody that they had dyslexia. So it was about them taking ownership and knowing that this is not something that they should be frightened of sharing. And so they made their own books about what dyslexia was and what it meant for them in my little support group. And they got each other to help them write it and had a, you know, they were thinking about what to put in there and also the sorts of things that helped them in the classroom into the book as well. And then they, some of them shared them with their class, which was to basically to tell their class that they had dyslexia. Um, and others just had already gone through that journey and for them it was just a nice reflection. And then um, this year it's more about them understanding that they're leaders in, leaders in the school and it's the way that they can make it easier for other children in the school is by being confident and getting the word out there, um, which I don't, no one in this group, obviously that's why they're, they're, they're in the group. They're all happy to be talking about this, their dyslexia, which is really great to see. Um, also, it can be tricky for a child, with any child, to be used, having their program modified in the classroom because they don't want to feel different. Yeah. So I, I've been trying to teach them little tricks, but then I've also been straight away talking to the teachers going, I need you to ask them about that trick that I taught them. Maybe they can share it with the class or other kids. So it's not just something that they do because they have dyslexia. Yes. This, is a, this is a little bit of a um, strategy that I've taught them that, they, that other kids could benefit from as well, but they could be the leaders in showing that. So there's so much that we can cover, Ari, and it's such a big topic and you are a wealth of information. So I just had a, had a little bit of an aha where I thought... Oh, I love your aha. I know you do. <laughs> so I just thought in October... 
we might actually run a series where you can actually do a step-by-step -step, but in more detail. So we might yeah. do a series of five videos to support a parent but also support the teachers and the wider community for awareness. And then that can sort of back up what you're trying to do in October. Love it. And Thank anyone, you. That would be great. If yeah. anyone's got any questions, they can filter them through to us beforehand so we can try and make sure that they're covered in the... Yeah, absolutely. Series. And maybe through the year we might have a live with Ari. Yeah. So parents can actually do like a Q&A with you as well. Yeah. Great. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Ari. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yes. Well, it's great because it just oozes from you. <laughs> the information. I, I was going to say, I could keep talking for another hour, but then my child would have eaten a whole box of pizza shapes by then. So maybe. <laughs> so what we'll do is definitely get these videos sorted. And um, so thank you so much for tuning in to Humankind, Raising Good Humans. Any questions that you have for Ari, please filter them through our social media. We will add resources and um, we'll see you next week. See you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.